What is up? What is good? How you living? How you feeling? The L-E-F-K-O-E show is back. And what do you know? A big old week for all the fans here on the Left Coast Show. Chiefs get a win. Steelers get a win. Eagles gotta buy. Ingber, man, proud of your Eagles, bro. Undefeated since I joined the team. <laughs> it's been like 15 days since I joined up and not a single loss in there. I feel like I might, might must be contributing to something. Uh, proud thank of you. you. Yeah, proud, proud of us. Uh, overall, I'm just curious. What was what was Sunday like? Sunday football like for Brian Westbrook? How did you uh, view the games? Well, usually Sunday I'm on the road. So usually I'm doing the pregame show for the Eagles down at Parks Casino and then driving back Damn, home. This is our, this is our week to watch watching. the games together. Damn. I know. This is our this is our normal week to hang out. And obviously things have happened. But normally I'm, I'm usually riding, driving home kind of watching the or listening to uh, the red zone just a bit and then getting home, you know, midway between the one o'clock games and now kind of sitting down and watching all the games and things like that. This weekend was totally different. Got up early, took the kids out running, playing, playing with the dogs, came back in, clean leaps in the backyard, then came in and settled in for the game. Got rid of the kids. Go, go out of here. Leave my area. And then I, I was able to consume the games and it was it was it was pretty cool to watch. Can I, Westbrook, just to follow up. Of all the games, what was the one that you found yourself to be the most emotionally invested in? Uh, probably the Steelers game. And it, so it's two. Actually, it's probably three. Uh, and I'll name three. The Steelers game, just because I obviously and now I'm a Steelers, Huge Steelers, Steelers fan. Steagles, obviously there. And, and there was a different feel for the Cowboys this week. They, they played much, much better. Uh, Garrett Gilbert went out there and played well. So that was the first game. The second game was the Cardinals mm. and Dolphins because I wanted to see with the two young quarterbacks. They're, so, they're, they're kind of similar in a way, but there are also big-time differences in the game. It was interesting to see that game and how it played out. You know, I bet against uh, two of the last two weeks, and he has some type of rabbit's foot hanging around his neck that this defense has now played so much better uh, with him in the game. And so there, there's that. And the last one – for some reason, I have become a Justin Herbert fan, and I just want him to win. And I, I, I was a, it was a feeling that I had that, you know what, this team is building character through some of these losses, and those losses next year will turn into wins. Um, but he's playing great. It's not his fault that they're losing. It's a lot of the defense, a lot of the craziness that goes on within the games. And so it's been a little bit of everything. But those are the three games that I kind of focused in on for some reason. Greg Rosenthal actually had a tweet that the Chargers special team ranks 2020, they're 32nd, 2019, 32nd, 2018, 25th, 2017, they were 31st. So it's not just the defense, special teams matters, and they're just not giving him the help that he needs, and hopefully they'll turn that around. Not only that, we talked about how every year the record of one-score games is typically something that flips, except Seattle always seems to win the one-score games. And the Chargers, this is all they do. And, and my thing is, is I love Anthony Lynn as a man, but you have to start wondering, like, is this built into the DNA with this coach? And it's tough because you look at, you know, Dan Quinn's not there in Atlanta. And if Todd Gurley slides down, this team is on a four-game winning streak since Dan Quinn has let go. And so 
Uh, look, I'm not saying anything about Anthony Lynn. My big follow-up question there is you're just now starting to like Justin Herbert. Like what about a six foot five long stride gunslinger? That's also accurate. That's carrying this hapless franchise that doesn't own their own stadium had like everything about Justin Herbert to me is I'm obsessed no, no, no. I wasn't saying that I wasn't I just falling in love with him as a player. I'm falling in love with the story that they can finally win a game. Like I, I feel like they're so close every single week that they should when he's played well enough for them to win. And they I just think lose. this is the best thing that can happen to the Chargers, because while I did think that the Chargers had the potential to make the playoffs this year. That's never the case. And when you're in the division with the Chiefs and you lose Derwin James and all those injuries, it wasn't going to be this year. But now right. that you have the quarterback of the future, let's get some better, some better draft picks in here. The, you know, the, the, the more games they lose, the better offensive linemen they can get. The more games they lose, yeah. the better defensive players they can get. So uh, the Chargers, to me, already are going to be the super sexy surprise playoff team next year, just like they were last year and the year before and the year before and the year before. The difference is it's Justin Herbert. Um, I want to talk about the second game that you said, which was Dolphins Cardinals. Yeah. I am now no longer doubting Tua Tungavaloa. I came in, I came in. <laughs> it's a quick turnaround. It's only been seven days. But, but, and, 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 that, and that's why that I fast. think uh, I literally today was just speaking uh, to a Syracuse class. Uh, shout out to that class. But one of the things I said to them, and it's, Honestly, what came up today on my daily stoic thing, which is all is fluid. And it was just mainly saying that like, it, it gave the example, if I'm going to go like super deep on it, is that in Japan, a famous Shinto shrine is rebuilt every 23 years. It's gone through that more than 60 of those cycles. Is it one shrine that is 1400 year old or is it 60 consecutive shrines? And it's just the notion that like, you have to change and nothing, and everything is fluid. And I, I, this thing that I really get upset about in sports media, and I think it's per, per, perpetuated by the Skip Baylesses of the world and the Max Kellermans of the world and the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, where they have a take or Colin Cowherd and they get entrenched in that take and that's their take. And I think that fluidity is important. What Tua showed in that second half and that end of the first half was really what I saw from Deshaun Watson in his second start. And what I mean by that is there was a lot of parts about Deshaun Watson's game that I wasn't sure of. I didn't know if he had the arm strength, whatever. And then like the pocket broke down and I saw something special. To watch Tua yesterday with the composure, to watch the athleticism, to see that he can run away from people – I have also been saying that Arizona's pass rush has not been the same since Chandler Jones wasn't there, so I don't want to get too excited. But what I saw yesterday were the pieces. What I saw yesterday was ball placement with less than two minutes left in the perfect place where you need to put it. What I saw was the ability to, to battle. And I think that if you're the Dolphins right now, you have to be excited because Kyler put on a show yesterday but I'm sitting here tantalized by Tua. I'm pumped about Tua. 
You know, the most exciting thing for me when I talked about, when I think about Tua is, and you mentioned it, his ability to move around. And I kind of saw him play. I mean, I watched him a bunch in college, and he moved around a little bit that first week. But that first week, I'm like, ah, the arm doesn't look right. He doesn't He's not moving around fluidly. Yesterday, we saw him break a couple runs, first downs. Talking about break a couple tackles, make a couple people miss first down. It was one of his long runs. He made one of the DBs miss, which I didn't even know that he had in this game as far as that goes. He looked quicker than I remembered him in college. And, and I think that's important in the, in, the, in the NFL, especially when you're trying to evade the, the pocket. Most importantly, we saw a great example of it last night with Drew Brees. Accuracy in the NFL is, is your ticket. If, you can be, if you're going to be smaller, but you're still accurate on the run, obviously right. on the move, and in the pocket, you can do anything in the NFL. Tua has that. We saw that in college. He has brought that to the NFL. That's going to be his calling card as he moves along. As you look career. at the three rookie quarterbacks, Tua and Burrow right now are showing how good and accurate they are. They both seem to be the guys that can work underneath. They both were in system which was all about like operating mm-hmm. in space. Herbert is the one that is the most impressive, but he's definitely the one that you go, I don't know if this is sustainable because it's a little bit like what we talked about with Tannehill last year. It's a lot of deep shots and there are a lot of big plays. But what I'm seeing out of Herbert is, man, we said this about, about uh, Mahomes too, and it looks like he's able to sustain it, but Tua's accuracy. The other thing that I get excited about Tua is look at this upcoming schedule. Chargers, which I didn't even think about that. Herbert versus Tua, four o'clock on Sunday is going to be prime time. And to be honest, I want Romo on it because again, Romo was incredible. So it's Chargers, Broncos, who we just saw Matt Ryan throwing all over without Calvin Ridley, and then the Jets. So, and then the Bengals. So that's the next four games for Tua. We're Tua, and then after that, it's Mahomes. So I, I, I'm, I'm very excited because I look at the Dolphins and I look at what Brian Flores has built. It is so cool to watch that I haven't seen the Dolphins really good in a long time. It's been a while. You know, one of the things that is so important, and no one really has mentioned it, but I think it's so important – there's an it, right? And so when you have that player come in for you, you play a little bit harder. And not that the team wasn't playing hard for Ryan Fitzpatrick because they won some games with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But having that, just having Tua's energy, having him in the game, the team seems like it's, it's played a, a lot harder. And obviously you've seen that on the defensive side of the ball. Second game with a, a defensive turnover and a touchdown, that's going to be huge for them. If they can continue that, we'll, we'll see this team continue to get better. But I, I think it starts with the coach, just like you mentioned. Brian Flores has brought a mentality. You saw that last year. When, even when they were losing, they were fighting every single game. They had nothing to play for, but they continued to fight. That's rolled over into this season. It started in 2019, we forget, but they were 0-7. This is what Field Yates said, with a historically point different, historically poor point differential. They were the laughing stock of the NFL mm-hmm. since. They're 10-7 and with a promising rookie QB, a wildly improved defense, and something we haven't even mentioned yet, a ton of future draft capital. Brian Flores mm-hmm. is a damn good head coach. That is yeah. a great situation. I would say this. Yeah. It is wild to look at Detroit with Matt Patricia – where everybody said, if there's ever been a guy that could be the next Belichick, it is him. 
and their defense has been awful consistently. It's crazy to see a guy like Bill O'Brien go down and be rarely innovative. It is crazy to see Charlie Weiss and all of these guys and that couldn't do it. Brian Flores is the one. And it's, it's cool that, it's a, that we officially seem to have a disciple from Bill Belichick actually take those values and keep going. Ingber knows. Ingber, how many woe big offseasons do we do about Brian Flores where he put up a, um, a message on the wall and every time that you fumbled the ball, everybody had to run to the wall and touch it. It was, he has just embodied it, man. And I'm, I'm looking at the Bills. They get a huge win over the Seahawks. They move to seven and two. The Dolphins keep going. It Every single week, it feels like the baton has passed to the coach of Brian Flores and to the team of the Buffalo Bills. Brian Flores certainly reminds you. He gives me that Mike Tomlin vibe. Just a little bit strong. He, I mean, he's going to get the players to to play for him, and he's a leader of men. That's an important factor in the locker room. Being able to have the guys believe in you and to lead, even when you were losing last year, they continue to lead this way. And, and they now they have better quarterback play. That's going to be important. But this is what I, this is the reason I brought up Brian Flores with that is. Patricia and all those guys, they don't have what you're saying, that human leadership quality. But the thing I've always been surprised is they don't have the X's and O's. What's interesting to me about Brian Flores is when I looked at the stats after the game, DeAndre Hopkins did nothing. Do you know what that is reminiscent of? Bill Belichick. We just interviewed Aqib mm-hmm. Talib last week. And what Aqib said is when you're the number one guy and you're responsible for shutting it down, you got those private meetings you know what? I saw Xavier Howard battling with DeAndre Hopkins all game yesterday. And the fact that Brian Flores' defense, they win special teams, and they constantly shut down the number one weapon of another team, that's Bill Belichick. And that's where I get excited is it's those principles that I thought Darius Slade could be for Patricia. Uh, they just never, they never became a thing. They're becoming a thing for Flores. It's pretty exciting. I think Scott Hansen said that this was the first time in over 100 games that DeAndre Hopkins didn't get a single target in the first half of the game. And when you take someone out as a target, that's like exactly what Bill Belichick did to Darren Waller a few weeks ago and everyone Always. was talking about it. You, you look at you, you home in on the one guy and say, all right, who's not getting the ball? All right, every, anyone else can beat us. The Miami Dolphins have an enormous defensive line and have spent all of their money on cornerbacks. Who else does that sound like? Yes. And their linebacker is Kyle Van Noy. It is, they are the Patriots. They, they just have a mobile quarterback, which is so funny because that's always the one that would give Bill Belichick problems. But anyway, a lot of Miami Dolphins talk. Kyler was phenomenal. Kyler running is maybe the most fun that you're going to have any Sunday because everybody looks like they're in slow motion, Westbrook. Kyler and that offense, and obviously we, we know, I think they're the number one scoring offense in the league. You know, over the last four games, they put up over 30 points each game. They're the only team in the NFL that has over 100 yards rushing in the first eight games, in each of the first eight games. Again, impressive. His ability to move around, though, is special. And he's a lot different than – I'm trying to think of other guys like him. Vic, maybe. You, you talk about his ability to move around, just be faster than people. But it, it, it's the short, quick steps – that, that make a difference for him in, 
And, and then when you think about this, and this is where I think he separates himself with Vic. They both have strong arms. Vic probably has a strong arm. But Kyler has great accuracy, too. And that's the thing that separates him. And his, I think his knowledge and understanding of the passing game uh, probably is a little bit better, especially at an earlier age than Vic. But, you know, it's been impressive to watch him, the things he's his been doing. His partnership with Christian Kirk, they both got drafted in the same year, all that. I just want, to call, I want them to call themselves the short boys with a Z. I just feel like they're both, they're both tiny. They're both of their helmets are seemingly enormous. I just think they should be the short boys. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Kyler um, that we can talk about his running style. I feel like he runs like Mahomes, but he has the body of Russell Wilson, but he has the speed of Lamar. Like what I mean by like he runs like Mahomes, they both have this thing where they're like turn the corner, but their legs really aren't moving. And they both kind of like do this thing where they're like getting balanced as they turn. But he's just so much faster that he could take the corner whenever he wants. It's awesome. Yeah. He decides to stay in the pocket a lot. He decides to throw the ball where he obviously could run. And obviously when we talk about Lamar, he's like, no, I'm running. I'm out. And Kyler's more like, okay, where are the guys down the field and how can I get them to football with my arm? Um, a different, different, type of, different way to do it. And that's the, actually the beauty of our league right now. We have a bunch of guys that have the ability to beat you with their legs, to beat you with their arm. And then they can say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do it a little bit different this week than I did last week. And that's the struggle for some of these defenses and why these teams have scored so many points. Let's go to the game that ha – oh, go for it. He's currently on pace for 4,260 passing yards and another 1,086 rushing yards. I mean, anytime a quarterback goes over 1,000 yards, that doesn't happen very often. 48 total touchdowns he's on pace for, 32 passing and 16 rushing. And as Catherine Fitzgerald pointed out on Twitter, he has had a rushing and a passing touchdown in seven of eight games this year, which is incredible. Westbrook. When you're a free agent, are there like teams, like if you saw like an up and coming quarterback like this, that you would almost be like, I kind of want to sign with them even more just because I know I get to be with them? Absolutely. And not just the quarterback, the team, the philosophy, the leader. You're talking about Brian Flores. Oh, no, Arizona, Arizona. Oh, because that's, that, that's, better, that's what They're I'm so saying is also the tax bracket. And the taxes in Arizona. I'm just what what because what I'm saying is is I'm looking at at Arizona, and we've seen this now mm -hmm. for the last few years. You find your young quarterback because their contract is small. You spend a shitload of money. In my opinion, yeah, I don't think Arizona's going to be able to do it all this year. I don't think their defense is there. But now is the time for them to go crazy. Now is the time to go. We're a blue state. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we are. We're a blue state. The taxes are, are, are a lot better for everybody. You have maybe the face up and coming. And let's, let's get everybody else in here. But they need to build that defense in free agency. And I think they can. Well, listen, they, they're able to build that defense, especially in free agency. And I, I kind of compare really those two teams. You're talking about Miami and Arizona. They're almost in a similar situation. Obviously, the Dolphins' defense is a little bit better. But they're in a point now where they can take over their division. There's a possibility that, especially with the way the Seahawks' defense is playing, that Arizona 
let's let's fast forward to next year. Could be the, one of the best teams in that division, if not the best team in the division. Same thing for Miami, that they could be the best team in the division next year, depending on what happens with the Buffalo Bills and, and Josh Allen. So yeah, of course you want to you want to all those things play into the, the the thought process of a free agent. Who's a quarterback? Who's a coach? How much money am I going to get? Obviously, the tax bracket. How much money I'm going to have to pay there uh, plays a part in it. And can we win in the future? Can we win in the future? Or are we in a division that has Patrick Mahomes in it and it's just going to be hard for us to win no matter what? Those are big-time questions. One last thing is we've now done 30 minutes seemingly on the Miami Dolphins-Arizona game. What's really incredible about Miami is not only are they going to have a pick in this draft, right now they also have the seventh pick in the draft because they got the Texans pick. And the Texans Mm -hmm. right now, yeah, they won on Sunday – but they are 2-0 and against the Jaguars, and they are 0-6 against the rest of the NFL. So the Dolphins are in an incredible position. Quick question for you. What's your feeling on uh, Deshaun Watson right now? I still love him. I still think Deshaun Watson's a top five, six quarterback. Just like watching him run around out there. Um, I, I just think he's in a really tough spot. You know, I talk about a franchise that has no North Star. And they have no way to get out of it. The, the draft picks are, are, are low. <laughs> I mean, how, how do they get better? We talk about putting weapons around your quarterback on the offensive side, especially on the defensive side. How do they get better? How do they make Deshaun Watson better, um, especially at this point with, with the, the amount of draft picks that yeah. they've given up for some of the players that they have on the roster? In European now. soccer, you can loan a guy out for the latter half of your season if you have no chance of making the playoffs, right? This happens all the time. You get a draft pick or you get some compensation. I feel like Deshaun Watson should get to go to some team that needs to shore up its quarterback mm-hmm. skills but uh, you know, is, is in line for a playoff spot. Let Deshaun hang out for a couple of months. I mean, shit. That'd like really He cool. could just drive an hour and a half and, and and play on the Dallas Cowboys, and that team would be scary as hell. Or Washington, right? If you put him on Washington right now instead of Kyle Allen or Alex Smith, that's a much better team that could win the division right now. I'm trying to think, or New England. Nah, there's no weapons in New England. No weapons. No. No. Um, the other game, though, that you were talking about, like the new age quarterbacks, Buffalo-Seattle was that to a T. It was Russell Wilson uh, – it's seemingly under more pressure than he's ever been under uh, this season, uh, uh, taking on Josh Allen, who it was good Josh Allen. Not only was it good Josh Allen, it was great Josh Allen. My first thought was, and I, I think you had a year in San Francisco that I don't know if you had this experience. In the first half, I wrote down, this is exactly what happened in the Rams game, where the Bills jumped all over them against a West Coast team in a one o'clock game. And I was thinking, is it 10 a.m. Seattle time and they just put themselves in a hole and the difference was uh, the Rams were able to take more advantage in the third quarter. And I think because the Bills had gone through it with the Rams, they were more ready for it with Seattle. But I I leave that game and I'm not that nervous about Seattle because I think their defense has always been an issue. Uh, I am more very positive about Buffalo uh, because with John Brown back, we saw that deep, that deep ability from Josh Allen able to stretch the defense, and we saw him really take advantage of underneath throws. But your your head shaking means that you're a little bit worried about Seattle. I feel like. Well, no, I, I think the Bills, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, that entire crew, 
especially defensively, they, they, they certainly deserve a bunch of credit. Um, the, what they've been able to do as far as pressure the quarterback has been huge. They've been able to stop the run and, 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 and just get after the quarterback. I have big-time questions about Seattle. I'm, I'm, I'm worried that defense – worries me and what seattle's identity was for a long time was run the ball play action and obviously when you add dk metcalf you're trying to throw the bomb and tyler lockett has been catching the ball you're trying to go deep we understand that but not having chris carson out there just hurts that team even more they they just stop running the football and they say defense you know we're going to put up some points but you got to actually stop teams and they have no ability to rush the passer even that's with carlos dunlap they have no ability to stop deep passes that that i mean they in the secondary they look i think they got i think they got seven sacks on josh allen and that's what's even scarier is you get seven sacks in the game and you let up 44 points the most points ever allowed in the Pete carroll era like that's crazy well well, that, that's even a bigger issue. And I think when you're talking about the turnovers for Russ, the, the, the margin of error because of that defense is so small. Now Russ is like, he's running around doing things I've never seen him try to do before. Running around and force the ball into the end zone yeah, on the interception. Bad. I mean, these are the, the, this is him saying, you know what, I know how bad my defense is. We have to outscore people. And that's going to be a bad position to be in because I don't know that Russ has ever been in that position throughout his entire career that he has to say, you know what, I'm going to go outscore you to be able to win. Uh, his that, defense has always been, the been last at years. least a lot better than – well, yeah, it may, may, it's, may, it, not to this right. extent, though. Not to this extent. where It looks just crazy. But all the last four years, he's had a run game to help him, to support him. Right now, without Chris Carson, they don't have that same, same ability to I, support I think him. also um, – the reason I get excited about the Bills is they, they're back healthy now. Uh, Jordan Poyer played 100% of the snaps. Micah Hyde, remember, they were mm-hmm. banged up in the safeties. And then Tremaine Edmonds played 100%. The Bills defense that we saw, granted that uh, you know the Seahawks put up 30-plus, but it was very tough. And it was, like you said, Russell Wilson running around and trying to squeeze things in. And that was the other thing that scared me mm-hmm. about the Seahawks. In the beginning of the year... We saw real innovation. And yesterday I saw something I haven't seen in about two years, which was Russ save us. And that's the Brian Schottenheimer that I do not need. The Brian Schottenheimer that I do not need is, uh, come on, Russ. You know, when Russ gets in trouble and then they show that behind the quarterback angle and everybody's 20 yards down the field, he doesn't have time for that. We need motion. But the reason that I do get excited is they are getting Chris Carson back. And DJ Dallas was fine, but I get more excited when I know teams have reserves coming. Part of the reason why the Falcons have been great is not just because of Raheem Morris, is because Keanu Neal is back and because their other cornerbacks have gotten more time together and their D-line is getting healthy. And uh, it's, this is that time of the year where like, we've written people off or interesting this year, people go on IR and we go in our old brain, he's out for the year. But with this three-game IR, people are coming back more. I, I agree with you. I'm excited to see the Seahawks when they get Chris Carson back because I think it will it, it won't put it all on Russ, but it will also keep the defense off the field for a little bit longer. Here's a thought. You remember how Jim Johnson, the old defensive coordinator for the Eagles, used to attack opposing quarterbacks. I felt like Sean McDermott yesterday was attacking Russell Wilson. And there were times, and, and this is rarely, what I'm about to say is, has rarely ever happened. There are times that Russ looks confused. 
by the blitz just a little bit yesterday. And I know they hit him 11 times, and I think they actually sacked yep. him five times yesterday. But, I mean, he looked confused by some of the, the, the guys coming from different areas yesterday on the blitz, and that never, ever happens to Russell Wilson. The, the other thing I, I wonder, without that run game, without that ability to check the ball down, are they solely dependent on the big play? Is that the only way for them to move the ball down the field? Can they move the ball methodically down the field? And even though, you know, we, we've seen them throw the deep ball. We've seen the moon balls, those, those great throws to Metcalf and lock it down the field. Can they move the ball down the field methodically without a run game to support Russell Wilson? It's going to be a big question for this team as they move towards the playoffs. Yeah, I thought the I thought AJ Klein was great. I thought overall Russ seemed like he was forcing things because I think in his head he knew that he had to. And and yeah. and that can happen. But uh yeah, it's the the interesting thing now is with Arizona losing and Seattle losing, um it's it was really a big weekend for the Rams who were on a bye, but the NFC West takes a lot of losses and the Bills back-to-back games beating the Patriots and the Seahawks and moving to seven and two and looking like Mm -hmm. a a guaranteed playoff team right now. And I think what gets very interesting is the Steelers are clearly in the lead. The chiefs are there, but the bills are staying pace in case they stumble. And I think when you saw the Steelers game go the way they did, I, I, my betting brain immediately went to, I forgot one of the best times to bet against the Steelers is one o'clock road games. The Steelers, disproportionately, I do not have the trends in front of me. This is just me being a degenerate gambler now for about five, six years. (laughs) One o'clock home games, the Steelers take care of business. One o'clock road games, it's like Big Ben doesn't get the same English muffin in the morning and shit ain't right. But uh, your Steelers, we didn't really dive into this too far what was it like to watch this team that has really kind of maintained leads the entire year? It, they, they, they also, though, play down to their competition. Um, and you responded mm-hmm. to my tweet and you said you were a little bit worried. Now, they yes. are the, they are the anti-chargers. Worried, they know how to win games at the end. I feel like seven of their eight games they've done this. But what has it been? What was it like for you? As a, as, what, what worries you? Well, what worries me, number one, is that they let Garrett Gilbert come out of nowhere, first start just, you know, for the season, come out of nowhere and throw the ball all over the place early on in the game. I'm, I'm looking like, well, hold on, who, who is this kid? And we saw what Danucci did last week, and he looked terrible. Garrett, Garrett Gilbert looked totally different against a much better defense until, obviously, that defense does, did what they always do get a, a pass breakup, get an interception, you know, make plays. That's what the defense has been able to do all season long. But I was a bit concerned. I was a bit concerned. Um, and this is a concern for, my, for, for me, for the Steelers team for a long time. Whatever happened to that run game that they had years ago? And I know with James Conner, that hasn't been their go-to. But at some point, you have to be able to run the ball, especially against this defense. You should have been able to run the ball uh, against this Cowboys. Boys defense, they, they, they just give up on the run game, in my, in my opinion, in Pittsburgh way too soon. And they're saying, okay, Ben, just go be you. And that kind of flashed before my eyes when I see Ben go down what looks like a torn MCL, ACL, something crazy in that leg. And I'm like, oh, season's over. And obviously Ben pulls a – who's that? Willis Reed and comes back and just plays like a crazy man in that second half. But, you know, I, I think they have to get the running game with James Conner going – 
a little bit more and not be solely dependent on that defense. But when I watch the Cowboys, I was saying, you know what, this is actually more of what you wanted to see from the Cowboys these last few weeks after Dak was gone. Just get the ball out of your hands quickly. Don't allow the blitz to affect you, affect you and have an accurate quarterback. And that's what you've got from Garrett Gilbert all game long for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like the the Cowboys getting that early lead with some of the stuff that happened kind of changed it. But I did agree with you that it did feel like the Steelers just abandoned the run immediately. I would also say, though, that yeah. that offense is clicking the most when they are going side to side because they are uniquely built to really throw some stuff at you. Deontay Johnson on a reverse, yes. Claypool on a reverse, uh, Claypool. Johnson's so fast. He's much faster than I thought he was. I mean, he's speed. 4-3, three, 4-4 four, four out of Toledo. Um, but Juju and Claypool are, in my opinion, exceptional crossing route runners. Their, their ability, and they, they also both have a phenomenal sense of where the first down marker is. Uh, Juju, mm-hmm. I feel like that's exactly where he needs to be. Uh, and the fact that you still have like a James Washington deep guy, I, I feel like what I want to see more of the Steelers is more of the screen game to James Conner. I feel like James Conner, and you're a running back, you would know this more than me. If he doesn't start hitting big holes early, I feel like he never hits them. And I feel like he needs that confidence. And so for me, if there's ways to get him those little dump off screens early, get him involved in the passing game, uh, because I agree, like sometimes I just don't see, J- like sometimes I go James Conner is a top 10 running back. And sometimes like, I don't know if he's top 30. He doesn't have flashes. The, the one thing I want to see out of my running back is like that explosion of speed. And even, even uh, uh, Snell, he, he kind of is just like a one speed running that. back. So you're just like, okay, where's the verse? Where, where are you guys want to get that quick five yards and separate from other guys? And, and, and there again, there are times where James Conner has that. Then there are other times, like yesterday, I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't see very If much we're four from, yards you know, out, so. I would rather Claypool get the rush than, than James no, Conner no. because he's a more violent yeah. runner that attacks, and I feel like James Conner's waiting for it to develop. Yeah, he, he, he has to get that explosion back into his game, which he had early on in his career. But I wanted to make a point about Juju, and I had some questions about Juju early on in the season. How much of a role is he going to have here? And obviously with Claypool and Johnson stepping up, he kind of faded in the back. But yesterday he had some key passes, key catches in the third and fourth quarter, especially the touchdown there, an explosion after the catch that – that makes him a valuable player, obviously, for Big Ben. He, he had some great plays in that second half that, you know, kind of gets me back on board with Juju just a bit there. Uh, overall, though, I know you were a little bit nervous. Uh, at the end, Garrett Gilbert drives all the way down. Um, it it mm-hmm. What's interesting, I heard uh, around the NFL guys talking about it. So apparently the reason they played Danucci was like they picked up Gilbert and he had to learn the offense. So he's learned the offense in two weeks. And I think this is the guy that went and won the championship in like the AAF or whatever the hell that was. And they said that he picked up the playbook like really, really quickly. Uh, Faster apparently than Cooper Rush, who's been there for years. So, um, and, and don't forget, doesn't he have a couple of rings with the Patriots too, or at least one ring with the mm, Patriots? He may. I believe so. For some reason, I, I thought I heard that for some reason. I, I, I may be mistaken. I thought, I th- I'm pretty sure he has a Super Bowl ring with the but Patriots. But I, I also want to say, like, let's not forget, Andy Dalton should be coming back soon. And Andy Dalton, like, 
he in the Washington game, like he was going down the field for for a red zone drive, and then the next one he got knocked out. And like, and mm-hmm. the thing with the Dallas offense, man, Amari and CD and Gallup, like when you see them catch balls, they are still very explosive. And so I think this Dallas team will be very frustrating for teams down the stretch as they start to get healthy. Uh, just looked it up. Uh, he CD. was on the Patriots practice squad when they beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. Okay. So he might have a ring if the uh, if the team wants to be menchy about it. Yeah. I think he might have a ring there. C.D. Lamb fumbled yes. um, oh. in that game. Big, big time fumbled there. But, you know, he continues to be a guy. Just put the ball in his hands. And, and he seems to me to be a lot more explosive than Amari Cooper who kind of fades away at times. It just fades. He goes, you, know, you have a big catch, and then you don't see him for another two quarters. Then you'll see him for another player, too. CeeDee Lamb seems like in the slot, especially, that he can continue to give you those big plays that you need. Yeah, Amari play. Cooper to me, when – Amari Cooper to me is like Mr. Reliable at this point of his career, where it's like he always runs the right route. He's always going to get it. But definitely that – CD definitely seems to have a different gear. Um is, is Amari Cooper turning into Golden Tate? Like, no. I, listen, listen, I don't want to shit on any of these guys because they're catching passes from Garrett Gilbert and Ben. No, and, when, and when Dak yeah, Prescott was there, they were on pace for like 6,000 yards. So that's – I still expect more from, from, from Amari Cooper. I, I just do. I think he's a good player. I think he runs great routes. He's still young. He's still explosive. I wonder when I watch him, this is body language – he doesn't seem like he's excited to yeah. play football. And Amari Cooper, and I want to see that Amari Cooper is like top five worst body language athletes I've ever seen in my life. He's just, he's just, he always <laughs> looks upset. He doesn't. And that's what was so disappointing is when he got there with the Cowboys with Dak, it was like he was rejuvenated and taking pictures and suits mm-hmm. with top button going and all that stuff. But, um, One thing before we move on from Steelers Cowboys, um, I didn't find any 1 p.m. stats for Roethlisberger uh, in the 1 p.m. road, but I did note very interesting career split that he's about 52, 51.5% against the spread for his career, which is about normal for a very good longevity quarterback. But he's actually like way over 500, hitting at 61% when he's the underdog. And he's under 500 as the favorite, which I thought was interesting and sort of tracks with what I know about Big Ben. I was interested to hear your thoughts as a, as you, as you call it, a degenerate gambler. It's, it's been the thing about the Steelers that, uh, as, and Westbrook knows this as a longtime Steelers fan, mm-hmm. insanely frustrating, but also exciting is the Steelers don't get blown out, but the problem is, is they always play to the level of their opponent. And the real problem is, is mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing record in 14 years. So typically the opponents have been worse than them and they always play down to it. Now, the reason it's great is, is there a team right now more ready in the playoffs to play a one possession game than the Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't think so. How do they beat the Eagles? Chase Claypool again, across the middle. How do they beat the Titans? Stopping them there at the end. The, the, the Cowboys, they have now gotten game-winning stops and game-winning touchdowns every single game. They're ready for it, but it re- it's, it's just they, it's like they don't, get, they, they don't get excited to really blow somebody out, and it, it's, it makes it tough for those big betting lines. It was one of those when the Cowboys jumped on them yesterday. I was like, ah, oh, man, I could have taken advantage of that. You, you know, I, I, I obviously Ben deserves a lot of credit stepping in there. Three touchdowns yesterday, continued to play when it looked like he was going to be out. 
you, I got to give so much credit to Minka Fitzpatrick. His ability to turn that defense around from the time he came from Miami to Pittsburgh last year has been huge, making big plays when they needed the most. He got the interception yesterday, but he made a lot of key tackles yesterday in the game. And you're just like, where's this guy? He just comes out of nowhere making plays uh, as far as the defensive plays. He continues to impress me on the defensive side of the ball. You talk about ball hawks. I think of guys like Troy Palomahu, obviously Ed Reed, guys that always find the ball. Mika Fitzpatrick is slowly working his way into that. What does he find differently from anyone else? Like, what what is he as a as a back doing differently from you know all these other like Marlon Humphrey always seems to be around at the end of the play. Like guys like Luke Keekley in the center of the field, they always seem to be in at the end of every single play. What is he doing differently from everyone else? Well, they know where the ball is going to go. I think they, they, they have a lot of film study. They understand that this is where the opposing team is trying to get the ball. And then, and, and this, is, this is underrated, but I think this is huge. It's Shout hugely up. important as far as guys that take the ball away. Is he catches the dog on ball. Defensive backs are defensive backs for a reason. A lot of the, the kind of the joke is that if you could catch, you'd be playing wide receiver. He actually catches the football um, in those situations um, and, and so that, that's really been the difference. And you see the same thing with Marlon Humphreys and all the other guys that I named earlier. They're catching the ball, but they're in the right place at the right time because they study the game. They understand the game and where the teams are trying to get the ball that, to. I was going to say, I'll just never forget that when Mika came out, Bill uh, Nick Saban was like, he's the first guy that I really sat down with all the time and watched film together. And it's like, he's always in the right spot. The other thing I had a moment with Mika yeah. yesterday that almost made me laugh there's this moment that happens when a player's been in the NFL for like three or four years where their body changes and they're in it. They don't get bigger. They get thicker and they get denser. And I looked at Mink on the bench yesterday after the pick and his neck was thicker and his, his chest to back was thicker. And I, and I, I went, I almost felt like a proud dad where I was like, Oh my God, he's growing up. And there's, it's, you start see them going from like super strong college kid to like, I'm becoming a man and I'm, I'm looking oh, at Minka and it's the one move that the dolphins traded that you go, Oh, he would still be good back there, but they're clearly okay. But, um, this is he's why just you he's, like getting rookie cards. You like getting skinny Kobe and skinny KG and then seeing them like, Oh my God, he looked like that. Because you're right. When they take, because the really great ones really develop like young JJ Watt, compared to like what he became, they don't even look like the same human anymore. And, and, but mm -hmm. that's also part of the draft process as, as Connor will talk about. It's the reason they measure shoulders. It's because they're, they're trying to see what your frame is going to be like and can you grow into it? And the difference, and I think Westbrook can attest to this is there's probably been a lot of guys with great frames that didn't do the work to put on that frame. And when you see it, you go, man, the Steelers jersey, the last name is like who, the way he plays, you go, this could be a special all-time player. And that's that's when you get really excited. No doubt about it. Special player. I mean, just look at what he's done for Mike Tomlin and that team these last two years. The only reason that they were 8-8 eight and eight last year was because of Minka Fitzpatrick in that defense. Their quarterback play was atrocious. And when you think about some of the games this year, 
that defense continues to make plays. That defense is slowing people down. They're making plays defensively. That's why they are in the position where they, they are now I mean, as far as an undefeated football team. That defense making big plays. I, I appreciate a good safety play. I had Brian Dawkins. I, 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 I understand the impact of a guy. Now, Minka's not the, the physical presence that Dawk was, but he certainly is taking the ball away at a, at a great clip uh, as well. Defensively. Yeah. Big Ben one o'clock row games is Kirk cousins. Prime time. It's just not great. Um, the, my team, what a game they were in chiefs, Panthers. Uh, and I, I just a little behind the scenes for everybody. When I got on the zoom call, uh, I heard Ingber and Westbrook debating and Westbrook said, Aaron Rodgers MVP, let's get the train going. Mm-hmm. And Ingber came out and said, absolutely not. Patrick Mahomes. Wow. Oh, wow. Are you going to, you're going to bring out the shirt? wearing the state farm Patrick Mahomes shirt. (laughs) Ingber, Ingber, run off the statistics. Let everybody know how Patrick Mahomes has been this season because it's reaching a point now that it's freaking special. Currently on pace for 4,777 passing yards, 44 touchdowns against two interceptions. Okay. That's what he's on pace for. That's what he's on pace for, right, after about a half a season. Earlier in the year, he became the quickest quarterback to reach 10,000 passing yards, passing Dan Marino, because, of course, as we know, Dan Marino had one of the quickest starts to a career in history. Uh, His touchdown today, that was his 24th of the season and 100th of his career. He became the fastest QB in NFL history to reach 100 career touchdown passes, again, passing Dan Marino. The other guys in that conversation, if you're interested, who are the other two, the other two fastest? Kurt Warner in 50 games and Johnny Unitas in 53 games. I thought mm. that was kind of interesting. Uh, I, what, what he's doing is just absolutely absurd. And Bill Barnwell actually broke it down. His rushing this year is absurd. That if you want to compare him to Aaron Rodgers, his rushing, his feet, as you, you likened him to Kyler Murray earlier today, or you likened the other direction. But what he's doing with his feet is insane. He's like nine and a half extra points added, the EPA stat, extra mm. points added to his team just with his feet. This guy does everything. Uh, before Westbrook uh, discredits all of that, I will I will do a little eight mile and I'll, <laughs> I'll shit on myself before you have a chance. The one thing I will say about the Chiefs is let's not get too excited uh, as the last three games, it's been Broncos, Jets, Panthers. And so uh, the Panthers have a very young defense. The Jets are a mess. And the Broncos, we just saw getting lit up by Matt Ryan yesterday. So that is one thing. However, they're going into a bye. And after the bye... They are facing the one team that gave them a loss, which is the Raiders. And we know that after a bye, Andy Reid doesn't lose. So the one team that beat them, they get after the bye. That gets me very excited. I'll just say as a longtime Chiefs fan, the, like, what, the Seahawks and Chiefs to me were in very interesting situations. On the other side was an offense that was having a lot of success, but the difference was with the Chiefs it felt like the Panthers were trying to keep up with the Chiefs, whereas the Seahawks were trying to catch up to the Bills. When Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill get going, namely those three, it is an attack in which I've never seen. Like Travis Kelsey across the middle is seemingly unguardable. And then the Tyreek Hill... 40-plus yard touchdown or a long play reminds me of when Steph Curry does a heat check. And when it's completed or when it's a touchdown, 
If it's in Kansas City, the place is going nuts and you can't hear yourself think. And if it happens in your arena or stadium, everything shuts down and fear creeps in. You, the Carolina Panthers started the game with a nine-minute drive and scored. And on the second drive, called a fake punt and scored a touchdown. And it seemed like they were holding on for dear life. They had all control, and it seemed like they were like, if we don't score a touchdown here, we are losing. And then what happens is when Mahomes gets out there and has the bomb to a hill or a long one to Kelsey, it's only confirming the fear in your brain. I, they're the scariest team that I've ever seen. There's no doubt about it. When you talk about talent, you talk about um, uh, coaching talent, arm talent, player talent. It's just hard to compare any team in the NFL to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm talking about at every position offensively, offensive line, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. It's just hard to compare. And, and obviously Andy Reid is coaching. I, I know you guys watched the game. There was a play that they ran a touchdown on, um, right? They were, I guess, inside the 10-yard line. Mahomes starts acting like he's talking yes. to somebody else. He runs back. Backwards. Then, then he comes back around wide open in the end zone. Great, I mean, great play call. That's that's Andy Reid on a dog. Well, Westbrook, think about that. Think about stuff. that. Who's the great one player call. you can't put in motion? The quarterback, and they do it. And that's the level of innovation. Yeah. That's crazy. Great play call. And and this, all those things that you guys just mentioned, is the exact reason why Aaron Rodgers is having a better season. And he should be considered the MVP. And now he probably won't win it. But if we were just being completely honest here, if we talked about the weapons, obviously Kansas City has. Yeah, but I would say that Aaron Rodgers has a better receiver. We're talking about weapons. I put an S on that. Weapons, total weapons, offensive weapons. And this is why it's important. Because at the trade deadline, who do we say Kansas City needs? What do they need offensively at the trade deadline? Exactly, nothing. Exactly, that's my point. You nobody said anything. Absolutely nothing. But what were they saying about? Yeah, I, didn't I was know. letting you. Out of I, I, I was going to say right guard. I, I really, <laughs> I really wasn't. I, I really wasn't. But think about this: there was a lot of questions offensively. What do you want to add to Green Bay to make them a better offensive team? Get somebody opposite Devontae Adams. Oh, why did they why did they draft Jordan Love and then a running back in the second round? They needed more weapons to put around Aaron Rodgers. You know why? Because he's played in the league without a bunch of weapons. He has. And when you compare the weapons on the two teams, I would think Aaron Rodgers would have just as not just as much, if not more, success with those set of weapons and coach that they have out there in Kansas City than Patrick Mahomes. And listen, I'm not trying to take anything away from Patrick Mahomes. I'm trying to tell you what Aaron Rodgers is. At this point, let's think of, look at these stats, and these are important. 2,200 yards passing, all right, in eight games. That's Aaron Rodgers. Patrick Mahomes, 2,600 yards passing. Obviously, more weapons. That's in nine games, though, so that's a little bit different. A little bit different. 30, 30 yards or so per game. 25 touchdowns for Mahomes. 24 touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers. Two interceptions for Aaron Rodgers. One interception for Patrick Mahomes. He's all sound like uh, Aaron Rodgers has a better. Look, well, well, no, no. I'm telling you, he has much better weapons. These are my points. He had, there's no argument about that. He has much better weapons. Aaron Rodgers is doing more with less. Since That's we're the doing, point. Pass we're rating. The hypothetical. I'm sorry. I'll let you finish your stats. You got some good ones. No, well, well, passer rating. 117.5 for Aaron Rodgers. 115.9. 
uh, Patrick Mahomes. Again, and, and think about this. Just imagine, just remember what Matt LaFleur wants to be. Matt LaFleur wants to be this running team and then throw if we have to, right? That's what he wants to be, more like the 49ers. That's not Andy Reid. Andy Reid is like, listen, we're whipping it down the field. If we have to run the ball, we will. We'll give the young rookie the ball. We'll give Lev Bell the ball. But we want to throw the ball down the field with all speed and weapons that we have. Different philosophy for Aaron Rodgers. He would be doing the same thing, if not more, in that offense out there. How you get in there, Ingber? Just people make these hypothetical arguments of like, if Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes traded places, this is what we'd be seeing. And that, you know, the Chiefs would still be undefeated and they'd be scoring an extra touchdown a game with Rodgers. And if we're going to play the hypothetical game, then we could play that same hypothetical game with Mahomes because we only have two and a half years, basically three years of evidence about Mahomes. In 10 years, we will have the LeBron-esque former sidekicks that we thought were great, but turned out not to be so great without Mahomes. With LeBron, we saw guys like Matthew Dellavedova, we saw Booby Gibson, we saw Delonte West look like borderline and in some cases real all-stars. Then they signed the major contract somewhere else and they weren't as good because they didn't have LeBron next to them. I think that could happen with Demarcus Robinson, that could happen with Byron Pringle. And we're going to see that some of these weapons that we think of as superstars are actually pretty good talent with Patrick Mahomes and the spread offense and the Andy Reid. Nobody thinks of those guys as superstars. We're talking about Tyreek Hill. We're talking about Travis Kelsey. We're talking about the young running back, Edwards Hilaire. Weapons, I mean, weapons they're, they're as a obviously, package, though, if we're talking about multiple weapons, having yeah, enough guys to spread the they're field, They're all that weapons. Matters. We're talking about one guy in Green Bay, Devontae Adams. That's what we're talking about. We're comparing the two. Enough Patrick we have Mahomes one of the best receivers. See, there's more. Also, don't insult Aaron Jones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, Jones, Aaron so, Jones is a good I'll say back. this. I'll say this. Uh, they both uh, have a loss, uh, and they have a bad game. Aaron Rodgers' bad game against Tampa Bay, huge game. Throws for 160 yards, two interceptions, QB rating of 35.4. In Mahomes' loss, his bad game, he threw for 340 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and had a very low quarterback of rating of 83.5. My thing is that um, Mahomes just doesn't have bad games. And the way that you talk about Mahomes is the way that we talked about Steph Curry on the Warriors. Well, what if you take away this guy? And what if you take away that guy? But as we learned that it all runs because Steph is there. And and I feel like both of them hit me in the same spot. Both of them have played, like Patrick Mahomes to me is the Steph Curry of the NFL, where Every day, every game, there's an opportunity to see something I've never seen before. I think he's a huge fan favorite because he's just a good kid that wants to do great stuff. I think this is the other thing, and and Ingber made fun of me because I went on a rant, I think on our Thursday show, about I just want to appreciate greatness, where um, what Rodgers and Mahomes are doing is very special. Um, but what we are seeing out of Mahomes, I it's this thing, it's like I don't want to discredit any of it. It's we may never see Patrick Mahomes with a cast of talent around him like this ever again. The the lifespan of Tyree Kill will not be the lifespan of Patrick Mahomes. And the same thing for Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those situations where I, I end I end up sounding like a sap, but everybody wants to discredit the Chiefs or discredit Patrick Mahomes for having all these weapons. And I'm like, Patrick Mahomes is executing with all of those weapons. Uh, I'm, the, the Browns were supposed to be like this. The, the Cardinals were supposed to be like this. The, the, the Texans, when they had Hopkins, were supposed to be like this. There have been a lot of teams that have had weapons. 
and didn't do shit. And so now I'm seeing one where this guy is, is exceeding all expectations and it's incredible. No, there's no doubt about it. Patrick Mahomes absolutely is incredible. You can't take that away from him. I, I, and I, and I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and do that. I, I think he's been awesome. But you got to give a little credence to the weapons he has around him, the coaching that he has, one of the best quarterback coaches in the league, one of the most creative coaches um, in the league. We're talking about offensive play calls. And, of course, you know, they added to that. They added to that this offseason by, by bringing in uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, in the backfield, obviously, left Bell. And, and just think with the with – just compare that to what the Packers did. They said, nah, at the trade deadline, we're not going to help the defense or the offense. But in the draft, we will draft yourself a, a quarterback and a, and a backup running back. Good luck, Aaron. Ha- have a good season. That's what I would be concerned with. Political arguments that sometimes it's not that we disagree. It's that we just don't agree strongly enough with each other. That We both agree that Aaron Rodgers is having a phenomenal season. Yes. I'm sorry that I'm not – agreeing hard enough but it's just we have to split hairs because only one guy can win the mvp unfortunately uh unless you know two against it as well that's it's my other thing it's like what i was saying last week that we care more (laughs) about the x factors than we do about the best players and i think it's i think also it's just like this media thing where when someone goes who's the best player in the nfl you want to say something that's like they haven't heard before and uh do i think pat mahomes is definitely the mvp no uh, but I do think now it's, it's a more interesting weight race with Russell Wilson turning the ball over as much as he has the last two weeks. And that's where it gets interesting. Uh, if, if Ingber pulls up the betting market, hold, let, let's put money where our mouth is. Let's Ingber get, give us the MVP odds and we'll see maybe Westbrook's take on Rogers. There's a lot of value in it because I might not agree with Westbrook, but I would like to. Why, why wouldn't he be in the conversation? I mean, obviously we talked about, we talked about Russell Wilson. People talked about Josh Allen. People are talking about Kyler now. But why wouldn't Aaron Rodgers be Dalvin in the conversation? Cook. We talk about Dalvin Cook. Um, yeah, Russell Wilson is still the favorite. I checked this morning on DraftKings. He's at plus 125. Patrick Mahomes sitting there at plus 200 now. He came down. He was at like plus 350 just a week or so ago. And then Aaron Rodgers at plus 350. So he's come down from about six to one to now three and a half to one. And then that's just, that's the tier right there. It just goes Wilson, Mahomes, and Rodgers. And then everyone else is far away. Josh Allen is next at 22 to one. Tom Brady at 33 to one. Dalvin Cook at 33 to one. Kyler Murray, Ben Roethlisberger, 33 to one. And then it's just Lamar Jackson and Alvin uh, Kamara at 50 to one. There's a, there's really just a, a separated. You know how I love 33. I love 33. Something about those 33 to ones. ones. Uh, But it it is interesting. So, so it's Wilson Rogers, Mahomes. Mahomes is second at plus 200. Can you, in your math brain, break down for us what that means? Rogers versus Mahomes in terms of the odds and the, what, what, the inherent odds are with those numbers? Well, what it's saying for those that don't know the betting terms, plus 200 essentially means you're getting a payout of two to one. So if you bet $100, you will win $200 and you'll get a payout of $300 because your original bet of 100 plus the $200 profit. So if you bet $100 on Aaron Rodgers at plus 350, you'll get a profit of $350. So you would receive 450 when you get it back. But three and a half to one, is another way of saying plus 350. Two to one is another way of saying plus 200. And then Russell Wilson at plus 125, not super valuable. If you're betting $100, you're only going to get $125 in profit. You're essentially making even money. So it's saying if we ran the universe, let's say 100 times, 
how many times over the next nine weeks would Russell Wilson win the MVP? If you think it would be around 55 to 60 of those simulations, you should bet Russell Wilson right now. Mm. If you think with a, a, a two to one advantage, that basically means it's a 33% chance of Patrick Mahomes winning this thing. Do you think that in 33 of those hundred simulations, Patrick Mahomes will win the MVP? I would say it's more like 40, 45, maybe 50. So to me, plus 200 feels like excellent value. I love that. Your, your ability to use percentages is something that I've been, we've been trying to tap into for a really long time. And I felt like that was it. That was great. I think Westbrook, what's interesting is the Packers do have a very favorable schedule, in my opinion, for Rodgers to do something. Uh, because I think if the NFC West is going to beat themselves up, that hurts Russell Wilson. But the, Again, the MVP can also often go to the team that is far and away better, which is why I think there's value in Big Ben. But they go against Jacksonville. He should tear them up. At Indy, I think that it's in a dome. I love Rodgers in a dome. He plays the Bears twice. Those should both be wins. Then he's got the Lions, the Panthers, the Titans defense. It, it sets up nice for him to go strong because if, if they go from 6-2 and two and they finish 13-3, and 12-4, and four, He's got a real chance that they can get that one seed in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, that defense still concerns me just a little bit for the Packers. Um, they were able to rush the quarterback a little bit this past week that I, I thought it was impressive, um, something that they certainly needed to be able to do. Aaron Rodgers is consistent. The, the, when, when you talk about that bad game, who's that game where he had two Tampa early picks of the Bucks? Yeah, you know, he just – he never got into a rhythm. They literally never got into rhythm. You can't run the ball when you're down big like they were early on in that game. Um, and he never snapped out of it. That was – I'm talking about concerns for the Packers is if you can make him force Aaron Rodgers to make a mistake early, he just didn't – he didn't snap out of it that entire game. But, he's, you know, since then he's played well. He'll continue to be solid. I, I don't doubt that. His ability to get the ball to Adams, Valdez, Scanlon has been, has been good to see. Alan Lazard, your guy – um, he has to play a little bit more, get healthy all the way, um, and, and, and go from there. But th that team certainly has the ability to put up points with Aaron Rodgers at the end. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Saints, uh, we told you on the betting show, if you think the Saints can beat the Bucs, bet their odds to win the division because they would have now have swept the Bucs and are now in the driver's seat for the NFC South. Uh, I believe Ingber has mm -hmm. an updated divisional odds for what, what it was before and what it is now. Heading into the weekend, Tampa Bay was the clear favorite at minus 175. And again, for those that don't know, that means you had to bet $175 to get $100 in profit. So way less than a 50-50 win share. And the Saints, meanwhile, were plus 140, meaning if you bet $100, you'd win 140. After that one single game, major seismic shift in the odds, the Saints are now minus 250 to win the division. Wow. So you have to bet $250 to make $100 in profit. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are now up to plus 175. So you have to bet $100 to win 175. So Vegas has made an absolute massive shift. Obviously, the Saints now own the two-game tiebreaker over the Bucs. I love Vegas numbers because they can give a numerical value to the populace's feelings that felt like three to 400 point shift in Vegas uh, last night to watch what the Saints did to the Buccaneers and drub them 38 to three. It, it's very funny that both times the Saints have played the Buccaneers the next day, people are questioning Tom Brady's age, but only after those two games. First game of the season last night, is he too old? Other six games where they looked amazing, he's just fine.
Uh, I thought Antonio Brown had some spark out there. I thought that was interesting. I think the the Saints, though, are clicking. They've won now, what, five games in a row? Uh, something like that. But the defense finally came alive yesterday. And that was the Saints team that I came on before the year and said, they're my Super Bowl pick. I came on before the year and said Drew Brees could be a, a MVP candidate, which is definitely not a, an absolute possibility now. Uh, and now they're getting Michael Thomas back. But that I feel like everyone's opinion of that division, it went from Tampa Bay as the favorite in the NFC to I don't even think they're going to win the division, which means they're definitely not getting a bye. What the Saints are able to do is the same thing the Giants were able to do back in with 08 and 2011, whenever they won their two Super Bowls, is pressure Tom Brady with it's four guys. To Tom Brady last Monday seven. night, the Giants. Same Giants team. Just, just same exact thing. And, you know, a lot of quarterbacks hate the pressure coming off the edge with the defensive end. Tom Brady struggles with pressure right in his face. And you would think that's a Drew Brees thing because he's a little bit smaller. But when Tom Brady can't step up into the pocket and throw the ball, he's going to struggle. And he was uncomfortable all night long with that pass rush. They were getting pressure off the edge, forcing him to step up, and then getting that good push right up the middle. That's, that's, that's Tom Brady's Achilles heel. Every quarterback has it, especially if you're a guy that's going to be in the pocket throwing the football. Tom Brady showed it last night. He never was comfortable. Westbrook, we, I, we had Josh Allen on two weeks ago, and we were talking about Aaron Donald. And he said this thing that was really cool because I, if you've never played quarterback in the NFL, you're not going to know what it's like to see the game going on at that speed. He said, but when you have pressure mm -hmm. in your face, he goes, what messes you up is there's this flash of color you're looking down the field and normally you see it here on the side, the left side, or you see it over here on the right side. And there are little triggers. Cause remember we've all seen the videos of the quarterbacks. They see lights and they react quickly. They see a flash yeah. to the right. They step to the left. They see a flash to the left. But when you see a flash of color right underneath you, he says it's the most unsettling thing ever because you have to look at it. And he said, that's the hardest thing about Aaron Donald is there's this flash of yellow and blue and you're like this motherfucker again. And so, yeah. uh, yeah, for the saints to get that kind of pressure right in Tom Brady's face, it just, he, and when you're at that age and you know, you can't run away from people. That's the most important part. Josh Allen can yes. move out the way. Josh Allen can say, okay, I'm gonna retreat and just run around. Tom Brady won't. Tom Brady's like, okay, I don't want to get hit. I'm just going to go down right here. Yeah, Tom, Brady, Tom Brady's going, I'm about to get hit. Lengthen all of your muscles. <gasps> yes. <laughs> Protect Well, no, yourself, that's, that's his thing. Know? He goes, he goes. the key to not getting hurt is to lengthen your muscles on impact. I always wonder really? when Tom Brady's getting hit, if he's just like, lengthen. <gasps> he becomes six foot nine <laughs> as soon as he yeah. gets sacked. He's just like, loosen. <laughs> it's like yeah. the old family guy I, thing I where Peter Griffin's like, I wish I had no bones. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I know the game got out of, out of hand early for the Bucks, but, you know, one of the things that they had going these last few weeks was Ronald Jones and, and uh, Leonard Fournette in their run game. And I, I know, again, it got, out of, it got out of control early, but they have to have a run game to support that pass game with Tom Brady. And, and that means their defense is going to have to stay, uh, stay strong to the way that they were these last few weeks in order for them to allow the, that, that run game to be developed offensively yesterday was one of those examples where they couldn't get anything going with the run game. And in fact, 
I don't know that they even tried very hard to do it. Just based CBS on- Sports broke it down. Ronald Jones, three carries for nine yards. Fournette, one carry for zero yards. Blaine Gabbert, one carry for minus one yards. That's five carries for eight yards. Before Sunday, the NFL record for fewest carries in a game was six, and that had been done four times. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. The question, though, really is, as you look at it, the Saints have now won one, two, three, four, five games in a row. Two of them were in overtime. I forgot one of them was against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Yeah, it was a great um, game. But you look at it now, and they, they go home game against the Niners, a repeat of that incredible game last year where George Kittle won it, where it was like 45 to 42, and Emmanuel Sanders' first mm-hmm. game for the Niners, remember? Uh, and then they play the Falcons, then at the Broncos, at the Falcons, at the Eagles. Ooh. And then Chiefs Saints. Just the Saints are one of those teams that people have not thought about in four or five weeks. And then you look and you go, oh, another year in which they go undefeated in October and barely lose in November. It's like Drew Brees has to get all like the bone spurs out of his shoulder the first few weeks and then he hits his stride. Uh, But the Saints are back. They are back. One team that I think, though, that is I'm, I'm officially saying that I am wrong about this is I think the Colts are dead. I, I watched mm-hmm. Colts Ravens yesterday. This is a Colts team that I still think can win the AFC South. Uh, I still think that their defense was great, and I thought their game plan for Lamar Jackson was amazing. They do not have the weapons, and they do not have the quarterback to deal with a team that doesn't have the weapons. T.Y. Hilton yeah. is one of the many speedy wide receivers that you're going to get seemingly five games out of Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller, like they're all the same guy. And when he's not there, there's no weapons. Jonathan Taylor, I see nothing. Uh, The offensive line, which is crazy. They're all healthy and they're still not getting a push, but the Ravens, I felt like found a groove in the second half yesterday to the point where I'm like, I'm I'm betting on the Ravens going forward. I think that they're going to start finding it later. But I'm here to say that I think the Colts are dead. I just, they just yeah. don't have it, man. They don't have that, that piece that can win them games. Especially without Phillip Rivers playing with some type of thought that I'm not going to throw the ball to the other team. But I also I mean, thought that, that Phillip Rivers was like, wait, you got this kid coming in that runs a 4-4-40 with a 40-inch vertical that ran for 2,000 yards. You have an offensive line that is called the blue wall. And like you have like – and they're, they've generated zero running game, which is crazy. Yeah. I think Taylor had a fumble yesterday too, right? Didn't he didn't he, he had the fumble that was returned for the touchdown in which they jumped That's over right. Phillip Rivers. Right. Yeah. The and Taylor, and, and right listen, I have Jonathan Taylor on my fantasy team, so I'm very well versed mm-hmm. in what he's been going through. But he fumbled, touchdown, didn't touch the ball again until six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it's just, he needs to be a guy that is a difference maker, and he's just not. He, he I think coming out of college, I felt like he was more of a, a high volume type of running back that needs to touch mm-hmm. it a bunch to get it, just to get the juices flowing a little bit. That's not going to be the case with Phillip Rivers. The, the Colts, four plays and one yard in the third quarter yesterday. That's, that's just embarrassing, but also speaks to how well that, uh, that Ravens defense played. You know, when I watched the Ravens offensively in that first half, Lamar was just okay. I think he was 9-13 to 13 in the first half. He was just okay. It didn't look like he wanted to run as much. And when he did run, he didn't look as explosive. The second half, he, it looked like he was just like, you know what? 
I'm just going to do me. I'm just going to be Lamar Jackson. He's gotten sort of a rhythm throwing the football 10 for 10 in the second half. But when you talk about his ability to, to hurt you running the football, that's what we saw in the second half. Him just run and say, okay, I'm going to get the edge. And anytime he wants to get yeah. to the edge, he gets to the edge and he hurts your team. And defensively, that just throws you completely he out of He also whack. started hitting throws across the middle in the second half. And that's what excites me. Is yeah. Darius Leonard was all over Lamar Jackson in the first half. But in the second half, it was like across the middle, Andrews, across the middle. And that got me excited. Um, well, that's when, when, you, when he runs the ball, that's what up. happens. The, the linebackers have to step up a little bit, and now you can hit it right behind them with the tight ends across the middle uh, and Brown as well. So, I mean, they, they, they were able to find that. It was, it was pretty cool to see um, Lamar. I, I still question him. I still question if a team – and this is, this, is, this is your goal if you're playing against the Ravens. We have to be able to score fast enough and quick enough offensively to get them out of that no run. Doubt. If you can do that, then you can beat the Ravens. If you can't, you have no chance. No, no chance. I also to want to them. say this: they haven't had Mark Ingram in a few weeks, and I love Gus Edwards, yeah. and I like J.K. Dobbins. Mark Ingram is a different type of runner. Mark Ingram is a seven-yard angry knife runner. Like he just, pew, and I think that he is more of a vertical up and down running threat that complements Lamar Jackson's side to side threat more. I'm excited for them to get. Ingram. I also feel like he's a team leader for them. That, that's the most important part. Not only is he a good runner, not only is he a team leader, he's an emotional leader of that football team. When he gets things going, it's just a different yes. feel. Same way I talked about with Tua um, jumping into that lineup down in Miami. It's a different feel when you have those types of guys on your side. And just imagine, I'm thinking back to the games we played without Dawkins, mm. right? And we're like, ah, eh, the warm-ups is different. Watching the defense come out of the tunnel is different. Obviously, the excitement, even when the defense make plays, is right. different. You don't have that one guy that you know that you want to celebrate with that can get everybody going. That's Mark Ingram for this football team. And when they get him back, I, I think offensively they'll be a much Especially better Especially in a time where there is no crowd. And we've talked all year that you need to self-motivate. If you don't have the number one guy, it hurts mm -hmm. you. I have four uh, little takeaways that I want to get and then we'll kind of wrap up. Uh, number one, uh, I'm very tired of watching uh, Drew Locke comebacks where people talk about how great he's playing and like they're not watching the fact that the first three quarters he's throwing the interceptions to then need him to come back. It's just giving me like, I'm not saying he's Blake Bortles, but like that's what happened in Jacksonville when that year where Blake Bortles threw for 4,500 yards and he kept like all of it was in garbage time. I'm just getting very fresh. Maybe that's his game plan. <laughs> maybe his game plan is I want to get behind so I can just whip it. Maybe that's just the thought process for yeah, him. I just this is why it drives me crazy when people use uh, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and John Elway's number of fourth quarter comebacks is why they're better than Brady. I'm like, Brady doesn't have that many fourth quarter comebacks because he was ahead by 20 points and he was on the bench. <laughs> How dare you? Right. This was Matt Stafford right. for a long time. Matt Stafford would get into a hole and he would be the fourth quarter comeback king. And it's like, man, can we ever live in a world where you don't need to come back? So I just, I know that Drew Locke has these throws. If you could see what the Falcons defense was like in the first half compared to the second half, they didn't give a shit. Uh, another observation, I'm so happy for Keenan Allen because I felt like for years, Keenan Allen had to like run under a Phillip Rivers lob ball where like he'd cut up somebody and then the ball would be in the air and he's like, I'm going to go. And now he finally has a guy that can get the ball to him with speed with the way he's ability to route run. Westbrook, are you in disagreement with me right now? Okay. I agree with you with everything you said. 
this is the one part where I disagree with you at being happy for Keenan Allen because I know today Keenan Allen is pissed off. Last two plays of the game to win it. Neither one of those balls went mm. to him. Mike Williams had a chance to make the catch. Obviously, he, he, he didn't catch it. I think was it Parham tried to catch that last one? What do you mean you're not going to throw the ball to – Mike Williams is out of the game now. Why aren't you throwing the ball to Keenan Allen at that point? 6'5", can out jump anybody? What, what do you mean you're not going to get him the football? I, in my mind, I'm thinking in the end of the game, Keenan Allen was on the left side. I think it was three receivers on that side. I'm thinking they're throwing like a bubble screen and just allow him, the receivers, to block and Keenan Allen to bully his way in for a couple yards for a touchdown. They had no thought in my mind that they're going to throw the ball, another jump ball to somebody else beside Keenan Allen. He's pissed off Wouldn't you say it's also, you know, pretty emblematic that the team that is the worst team in the NFL in one-score games throws two fades at the end of the game? I mean, that's just who they are. Yeah. And and I will say this about Keenan. You know when Keenan's not going to be upset? when he looks at the end of the year and his statistics and all those top 10 lists that left him off now have to put him on and he gets all of it. And then is mad at like the, the thing that's so funny about the NFL is while the year is going on, we have an opinion about somebody. And then at the end of the year, we look at these cumulative stats and we talk about how great they were. I, I said this, I remember, I'll never forget one year where JPP had like 11 sacks, but six of them were in one game. And I remember after I was like, at the end of this year, everyone's going to say it a great year. And he had five sacks in 15 games. And I remember that year, they're like mm-hmm. double digit sack leader. And it's so it's just great for Keenan because for me, Keenan and Devonte Adams were the two guys that when lists would come out and they wouldn't be included in the top 10, they would get the most frustrated. And he will this year. My other two observations, we didn't talk about them enough with the chiefs. The Panthers are so fun to watch. And Yes. And Teddy Bridgewater and Matt Rule are so great together. And that offense, they had that one drive where they were fighting and crawling. And they get a CMC diving catch. They get a Curtis Samuel diving catch. They get a third and 14 where Teddy jumps on the 12. Ah! Fourth and 14. And he Fourth gets the first down. Um, I covered Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville. And the one thing that Teddy always did, he was not a big runner, but he was one of the greatest third and fourth down runners I had ever seen. I will find the clip. There was one game against Cincinnati on a Thursday night that pretty much got them into the Sugar Bowl where it was a third and eight and he's running and the linebackers got him after three. And he just does, did this thing where like he turned and started running backwards while the guy was holding and just went huh, and like threw himself back. His time and place awareness when he's running and he, nobody goes harder than Teddy. Teddy just throws himself all over the place. But I, the, to me, the Panthers are so fun. I hate the fact that, that McCaffrey's hurt again. He's got a shoulder injury and it sounds like he might miss some time, which is just tough. But this Panthers team that came in with no expectations is one of my favorite red zone teams. There was a reason why they gave Matt Rule, what did they give him, a seven-year contract? A long contract because he's a builder. He's a guy that gets in there and allows it to build. And the thought for, for me and probably everybody else was that it's going to take him a couple years to get things going and figure things out. No, 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 no. They're playing hard. Remember, we talked about Brian Flores, leader of yes. men. 
Same thing for Matt Rule. I saw him at Temple. Obviously, he did the same thing at Baylor, turned the programs around. He's doing the same thing in Carolina in his first season. And, 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 and he's, he's playing these very good football teams to right to the end. And I think that will continue to change as he coaches a year after oh, year. Yeah. They'll begin to win those games, especially with Teddy playing with And the, my the last observation is I don't know if there's something going on, but I'm curious. I'm watching the Steelers yesterday, and I'm seeing Chase Claypool make a play, and he goes to the sideline, he takes his helmet off, and there he has this awesome lightning bolt going across his face where it's like part Predator, part David Bowie. And then I'm watching the Seattle game, and there's DK Metcalf with like a pink lightning bolt going across his face, and it's awesome. It's part Predator, part David Bowie. Both of these guys are like 6'4 Adonises. Like they are cut from marble. They are to me the future of the NFL. And both of them have this lightning bolt thing going across their face. I need to know, number one, are you a partnership? Is this a Bash Brothers thing that we don't know about? Number two, do you just love the Bowie man? Is that your thing? Number three, is this part of a club? that we don't know about that other people are, I don't know what's going on, but I'd like some answers. What's up with the face paint? If it's a club, I mean, I can get cut up. And if I start working nope. out and shave some of this fat off the round, I, mean, I, I can't be six, four. So that's, that's, the, that's problem. the problem. We'll never be able to get in. That's going to be the problem there, but I, I will be five eleven all my life. So that there's that. <laughs> Wait. The other thing. I, I, <laughs> Where did the 11 come from? <laughs> well, don't, hey, listen, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. I'm 5'11". This year, I'm 5'11". Here's the thing. I saw, <laughs> I saw Claypool, and I thought – I didn't realize what he had going on. I thought it was one of his little eye black things because now, like back when I played, they had to – you had to put it on with like a marker type of thing. But now they have the little, the little uh, yes. sticky strips that you put on. I thought it was one of them that just moved, and he didn't realize it was up there. So I'm like, oh, that's – that's pretty messy. But hopefully one of his teammates will let him know. But if that's what they're doing, I am curious now, too. I'm curious to see what the heck you're talking about. I have no clue. And I didn't even notice DK Metcalf and what he I had just going. love when really young players recognize that they're really special and they start doing mm -hmm. things that really special players do. And the thing is, is we're, we're in the – the sports fandom will turn on everybody. They will turn on Curry. They will turn on Mahomes, just like Odell Beckham was the guy and they turned on him. People will turn eventually on DK and Claypool. But this is the best time. When you are young and you can wear dangling earrings if you're DK and you can have pink lightning bolts where we love your individuality. Eventually, when you're up for contract stuff and the team starts putting out reports that you're selfish, that's when they start to turn on you. That's why screw the franchise and all for the players. But I, I love these two. I love just enormous people. They're just really fun. Us big guys got to stick together. DK, Claypool, we got to stick together, <laughs> brothers. I grew another two inches. So I'm 6'4", so I'm in that club now. <laughs> I love that. Uh how are you We're recording this on Monday, Ingber? Uh, I have thought about legitimately taking the night off and not watching Patriots Jets tonight. Uh, 
Um, but I'm curious as someone that I know you're an Eagles fan now, but someone that I know still wants to check on your ex. Uh, what, what is tonight going to be like? I actually was telling my wife yesterday, my wife, super not a sports fan at all, knows only things about sports that she hears me grumbling about under my breath. Uh, I told her this is the first time that I can remember in my adult life of a Patriots game that I'm not genuinely looking forward to. I mean, the only Patriots games that I've missed in my adult life were be like if I'm at a wedding or I'm on a flight with no Wi-Fi. This might be the first Patriots game that I can remember where I just have no, in- I- I'm going to be home. I'm going to be sitting here with Wi-Fi. I could watch it and I might not, I might just not. I'm sure I'll check in on my phone and I'll see the scores and everything. But uh, I-, I-, I don't have much interest in watching this Patriots team as they're currently constructed and as they're currently yeah. coached. This team sucks. <laughs> That's another way of saying it. Absolutely <laughs> sucks. But I, I will say this. I'm, I'm going to watch it because I want to see if Cam snaps back. I want to see what, what he's going to do. Um, again, limited options offensively. I, that's a big question mark for your GM and your head coach, same guy. But I want to see if Cam figures things out. Stop turning the ball over. That would be a big, big way to go. This would if be Cam Cam's uh, game that you're referring to with the JPP season, though, where if he has four or five touchdowns and no picks, then all of a sudden he's righted the ship and his season-long yeah. stats look great. And people say, you can't bench Cam. He's got 10, 11 touchdowns and only three right. picks. He's looking good. Right. Whatever the stats are. It, you can't run up stats on the Jets and run it by me. I know what you're doing. I know what you've been up to this whole season. If you can't run your stats up against the Jets, then who <laughs> right. can you really run it up against? You know, that, that's the question. Yeah. Always good talking to you guys. Hope you guys are great out there. You're healthy. Uh, and that everybody is enjoying themselves for Brian Westbrook. You know, um, this weekend, I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, a saying, but this weekend I will say this. Saturday – you know, after the, we all know what happened with the election, there was a lot of people happy in Brooklyn. A lot of New York just was vibrant. And I, and I, will, I will tell you this: there were not a lot of people that looked like me that were just running the streets, blowing the horns, happy. A lot of people looked totally different, and it was a mixed group: black, white, you know, Latino, everything. I, I think everybody wants at this point, and I listened to uh, uh, President-elect Biden's speech. Everyone at this point wants to come together. And I think that's kind of what I mentioned last week. Let's just come together as a nation and make sure that we move forward together and not two different groups. For David, oh, the rocket man. For David, the rocket for David Ingram. Kamala Harris is the first woman elected vice president, the first African-American elected vice president, the first person of South Asian descent, and the first child of immigrants elected vice president. Whether you voted for that ticket or not, that is a truly historic thing in the changing of America. Ooh. And I am Adam Lefko, and uh, I, I'll just say this. I remember four years ago when Donald Trump was elected, and I remember that the NBA on TNT went on that night. And I remember Ernie Johnson, who I find to be the kindest man I've ever met in my entire life, went on TV and he said, I'm an American and I didn't vote for him, but I will support him. And I remember he also said he voted for, I think, John Kasich or something. Uh, but he was derided for years for saying, I will support him. I remember Dave Chappelle. Went, went on Saturday Night Live and said, I didn't vote for this guy, but I'm going to support him. And I hope that that same energy can come back this time because it was met originally mm-hmm. with open arms. But the quote that I will leave you with is from a man, Socrates. Some people call him Socrates. Uh, and he said, the unexa- don't laugh. The unexamined life 
is not worth living. And so I'm not saying that any certain people need to examine their life. I'm saying all of us do. Take a little check-in. Are you happy? How's your daily schedule going? How's your mornings? How are you spending your evenings? Are you talking to your friends as much? Examine your life. Are you doing what you want? You can always just restart and go from a new direction, baby. Listen, we got an Eagles fan, a Chiefs fan, and a Steelers fan right now. It wasn't like that in the beginning of the season. You can change anything. For David Ingber for Westbrook, I'm Lafko. We'll holla, holla, holla at you later. L-E-F-K-O-E-B, whatever. Bye.